Again to Romans chapter 8 as we this morning come to the conclusion of this magnificent chapter. And actually we're coming to the conclusion of, the, uh, of a key section in Paul's gospel. Uh, he begins with an introduction, verses uh, one, verse 1 through 1 verse 17, then 1 verse 18 through 320. Um, Paul lays out the, uh, the problem with humanity that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and, and then beginning and that no, no one will be justified by the works of the law. And then in chapter 321 through the end of chapter 8, Paul is just laying out the glory of the gospel, uh, that we are saved by grace and through faith. And, uh, and we are uh, then adopted into God's family. And, and Paul now in chapter 8 is concluding this great section on the gospel with a chapter devoted specifically to, uh, to assurance. Can you be absolutely confident that someone like you can be rescued and held secure in, uh, in the hand of God? Uh, knowing you and your fickle heart Knowing you and the truth of your sin in the past and the possibility of sin and, and, and unbelief in the future, uh, can these things, can you be certain? Because it's, no matter how great the gospel is, unless you can have a confidence that it belongs to you particularly and that you have, uh, are held secure in that gospel, it, it'll have no transformative benefit in your life. It'll just be one more thing that's true, but, but not certainly true for you, and you'll just be left living your Christian life as best you can, but without that robust confidence that Paul desires us to have. And so he's been asking these five questions to hammer home the point that in Jesus, those who are in Jesus Christ are absolutely, certainly secure there. And so let's give our attention then to Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31, and this morning we'll be looking at verse 35 to the end of the chapter. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's ask for God's blessing. Well, Father, now as we come to this magnificent truth, I pray, Lord, you'd give us ears to hear it. And Lord, I, I pray that we would receive this deep in the places of our insecurity and fear. 
so that, Lord, the fear is driven away. And we are made bold and, and assured and confident in Christ to live for Him, uh, to speak His name. Um, Lord, I pray that you would do your work this morning as only you can do by the power of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've said, we come this morning to the end of this chapter and the end of a uh, main section in Paul's gospel. And Paul, is his grand purpose here is to expound the glorious truth of the gospel in such a way that uh, his readers will be filled with all hope and joy and peace in believing. That's Romans 15, 13, right? May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing what? Well, in believing these things. These are the things guaranteed to fill us with all joy and peace as we believe them. And so Paul is writing this letter so that we can be thoroughly, invincibly convinced that God actually is for us and that God loves us and that God's saving purposes for us will be fully, finally realized. Douglas Moon, his commentary, says, this is a beautiful celebration of the believer's security in Christ. God's people have always struggled with doubt, and um, we live in times that are unnerving, times where we uh, can easily feel insecure. Our, our world is being rocked by war. There are threats of war. Demonic forces seem to be on the upsurge. Our culture is increasingly gripped by paganism and perversion. Opposition to the church is increasingly bold. Persecution seems to be more possible. Suffering seems to be imminent. Now, someone has, I think, rightly said that the, the culture that we are facing today is increasingly becoming like the culture the church faced in the first century. The people that Paul is writing to here in the city of Rome lived in a culture that looks in many ways like ours, a world of paganism and perversion and corruption. Uh, the spiritual forces against them were bent on the, their destruction. Persecution was already beginning and would only increase. And Paul's goal in this letter then is to make them and us able to stand in the day of trouble with this unshakable confidence that everything that God has accomplished for sinners in Jesus Christ and that he's accomplished for us in Jesus Christ will be realized. And that though to the eyes of the world we look like sheep being slaughtered, in the eyes of God and, and in actual eternal truth, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Overwhelming victory actually is ours, belongs to us in Christ. That, that's what Paul wants us to grasp. It just strikes me that this morning we're here in our nice Sunday clothes and nicely made up. And praise God we can do that. But there will come a day in your life when you don't look this nice, right? You're in the hospital and you haven't washed your hair in days and you got a tube running up your nose and you're wearing a hospital gown. And Paul wants, you see, to, for you to grasp these truths 
today so that when you come to that day, you're ready for it. And you know who you are. You know where you stand. You're, you have confidence in God's love for you when that happens. Uh, when, when the phone call comes and the tragedy has taken place, there's been an accident. God wants us to know these truths so that we're ready then for the call and, and we don't question or doubt or despair of God's love and his purposes for us and our loved ones. If persecution never should come, Jesus says many will fall away. And the reason they will fall away is because, well, for several reasons, I suppose they're in love with the things of this world and they can't imagine losing them. But one of the reasons will be that people just lose their faith in God. How could a loving God allow these atrocities to happen to me? And, and the only answer we see we can have to that is the gospel answer. That God is actually, in Christ, made us victors and conquerors over persecution. We need to be equipped with this, these truths now so that when the trial comes, we know where to stand one of my just great concerns as a, as a pastor is that when the trial comes, that you have been equipped by the Word of God to be able to stand. What a, what a tragedy for pastors who, when the trial comes, watch their people lose their faith because he was talking about other things. Well, God intends this morning for this truth to uh, take root in our life so that we're, we, we are these convinced people. We know who we are and, and who our God is. Stott, John Stott in his commentary says this, Paul's five questions here in verses 31 and following, they're not arbitrary questions. They are all about the kind of God we believe in. That's a good thing for you to think about. What kind of God do you actually believe in? Do we believe in this gracious, merciful, compassionate God who holds us and will never, ever, ever let us go? Because that's the truth of the gospel. That God has loved us with a sovereign, particular, immutable love. And that love defines the course of our life and will never let us go. This morning we'll first look at the challenge and then the conviction. The challenge, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And... When Paul thinks of the love of Christ, he's not thinking primarily of an emotion that Jesus might have for us. And certainly Jesus does have a deep, abiding passion for his people. But that's not principally what Paul is thinking about. When Paul thinks about the love of Christ, he's thinking about Jesus in his obedient life serving the Father, in Jesus in his atoning death on a cross for us. And Jesus in his victorious resurrection and Jesus in his glorious ascension and, and Jesus in his loving intercession for us. Everything that, that, that Jesus is committed to doing. But, but, but there's even more than that um, because the love of Jesus Christ is just the manifestation of the love of God the Father. And so when Paul thinks of the love of, of, of Christ, he's... He, he wants us, he's doing so on the basis, the foundation of everything he said in these previous verses about um, God sovereignly predestining and, and, and lovingly calling. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, so Paul just has in view this towering reality of re redemption. 
all that God has done from eternity past and, and then in the fulfill, fullness of time in Jesus and, and all that He continues to do until the day when it all culminates in a new heaven and a new earth and God's people are, once, are perfected in God's presence and live with Him forever. So, who shall separate us, Paul is saying, from that towering mountain of redemptive reality that's been sovereignly purposed and sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ for those who belong to Him? Who shall separate us from the glory of redemptive love? And before we answer the challenge, let's just consider it in the sense of what if something, someone or something could separate us? What if actually there was something or things that uh, actually could just take you right away from this towering mountain of redemptive truth and love? I mean, it's a, it's a terrifying thing to consider because you see, if to be separated from the love of Christ, to be separated from the, the reality of, of Christ's obedience and death and and his resurrection and his ascension and to be separated from God's election, to be separated from God's gracious call and God's justification and glorification, to be separated from that is death in its truest form. To be separated from that is the definition of what it means to be lost. The, to be lost means that you live in this world completely separate from this world of infinite love and grace that God has for sinners who come to Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't have a relationship with this glorious mountain of grace and truth. You're just out here on your own doing your thing. And, and in that, you are dead, spiritually dead, and headed for second death, which the Bible speaks of. Uh, that's hell. Hell is the absence of the love of Jesus Christ in its most purest form. There's, there's no hope for redemption there, no, no possibility of, of being rescued or saved. There's, there's nothing but darkness there. And so to be, you see, to be separate from the love of Jesus Christ is the most awful thing that can happen to you. And if something could separate us from this, well, that would be the most terrifying thing in the world. That would be the thing to be feared above all, all things to be feared. And, and if it were the case, you say, then what assurance could you have that that something would not come and snatch you away from your eternal redemption and, and security in Christ. So this isn't just a, it's not a cheap question. It's a very important question. It addresses a really essential issue. Are we, are we secure in our, in our redemption if we are in Christ? Are you personally confident that that if you were to die this afternoon, if you were in a car accident on the way home and, and you, you're standing in front of the, the judgment throne of God, do you, are you confident that you have nothing but bliss to look forward to? Or, or are you confident as you think about your own fickle heart and how easy it is for you to, to doubt God or to question God's ways and, and how easy it is for you to be led astray? Are you, are you absolutely confident that it'll, that will never happen to you? And if you say, yes, I am because I'm a very strong Christian. I'm, I'm a very committed Christian. I'm, if you're looking to yourself for your confidence, um, let me just 
urge you this morning to throw that confidence away. It's worthless. It'll do you no good. Any peace you get from, uh, from, from looking to what you think you're able to do is, is it's just a false peace. See, Paul wants to give us something so much better. He wants to give us an invincible assurance that we have been justified. And so we don't need to be afraid uh, in, when we face our sin. And we, we, we will be glorified, and, and we can hold to that as we face our death. Paul gives us here in chapter, in verse 35, he gives us seven things that might threaten our assurance, our security. Seven potential threats. And as he does so, Paul's acknowledging that the Christian life is hard. Uh, these, aren't, these aren't sort of weird things that we look at and say, well, why would he be talking about those things? Trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Why would he talk about that? That doesn't belong to us. We, we live the victorious Christian life. There's a, there's a, a demonic doctrine, really, that, that is spreading all over the world of this uh, triumphalism, um, this prosperity gospel, that if you believe, none of these things will happen to you. Well, this, this chapter and this verse particularly just lays the axe to that folly. Of course these things will happen to you. You've been called to suffer with Christ. You've been called to it by God. And so Paul's not raising these weird um, things that will never pertain to us. No, 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 no. We're, we do experience these things, and our brothers and sisters in Christ experience these things. Let's just look through them briefly. Tribulation. Can that separate you? Tribulation just means really hard things that press us down. Uh, the, the word comes from a, uh, the Latin word uh, tribulum, which was a threshing tool that is a heavy sled with a metal bottom. They would, they would drag over the grain to press out the, uh, the kernels. And life often brings things that press us down. The trauma of a serious illness or the loss of a loved one in death. It's crushing. The ongoing weight and burden of seeing your beloved children make wretched choices. Uh, the pain of being childless. Uh, the pain of divorce. Uh, we could list all sorts of things here. Just things that you don't just bounce back from. These are, these are heavy weights that weigh on you and that press down on you. And some of you are walking these roads today. And all of us are going to walk them in one form or another in this life. Nobody makes it through without tribulum, without tribulations. And in, and in those times, right, the, the weight of, the, of that, that sorrow and heartache can, can ch challenge your faith. Does God actually love me? Is this, is this how he treats his own children? How do I pray to a God who is willing to let me suffer like this? Those are the questions we ask. How about distress, hardship? It's a little different thought. It has the idea of being confined, constrained in a box. Of, uh, you're trapped. Maybe you're, 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 you feel st stuck in a dysfunctional relationship or marriage. Uh, maybe you're stuck in a, in a body that doesn't work right because of your age or because of injury or handicap or disease. Your body doesn't do what it's supposed to do and, you've, and, and you're, you're trapped there in a sense. Or you're a single person and you feel that there's no end to the loneliness. Maybe you're dealing with an incurable, deteriorating disease. These are things 
that, that press in on us. And it's the daily, unchanging, seemingly hopeless nature of those hardships that, again, wear hard on our faith. How do we find hope here? What's God doing here? Paul then moves to physical poverty, famine, nakedness. Those are occurrences that were much more common in the world of Paul's day, but they're still real today. We have brothers and sisters today who are hungry, who, who are homeless because of war, because of persecution, because of just poverty. Right? It happens today. What would it be like to be a Christian and you don't have anything to feed your, your kids this morning for breakfast? And you're not sure where you're going to sleep tonight. Would you wonder where God is? Would you question his love? Persecution, danger, sword. Paul lists three things that belong to the opposition that we receive from the world. And he's writing to people who are beginning to experience these things. They are under threat from the Jews particularly, but the Roman government increasingly. And Paul just acknowledges the truth of it. And he quotes from Psalm 44 to remind his readers that God's people have always faced opposition from the world. Psalm 44, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Uh, to the eyes of the world, you see, people like this, people who suffer like this, in these ways, I mean, surely they must have been abandoned by your God, by their God. Why would awful things like this happen to you if your God loved you? Why would he allow you to go through this great tribulation or this, this, this heavy, constraining thing in your life? Why, why would God do that? Why would he let you go hungry and, and without clothes? What sort of God would, would do that to those he loves? I've, I've seen people ask this question publicly. Um, I, I would never do such things to my children. How could God possibly... Right, love us and do that to his children. Well, these are real challenges to our faith. Have we been abandoned when we experience these things? Have these things been able to separate us from God's love? And Paul responds immediately, no. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's a wonderful phrase that he uses, super conquerors. It's one word in the Greek. It means overwhelming victors. See, Paul wants us to understand that uh, we're not victims in this world. We are children of the living God. And we don't just survive the trials of life. We triumph over the trials of life. How? Well, on the one hand, because every trial we know serves God's sovereign, saving, sanctifying purposes. Every trial. That's verse 28. All things do work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. God is working them for good. So every hardship and every heartache, every struggle with sin, God is working out the work that He's begun in you. He's working out your salvation. He's humbling us. Isn't that what God does when He when he brings us to an experience of great weakness, whether spiritual weakness or physical weakness, mental weakness, he's just, he's humbling us. Praise God, because God gives grace to the humble. 
He's purifying us. He's teaching us how to trust in Jesus. Let me ask you, when in your life have you most learned to trust in Jesus? Was it the times of great blessing or the times of hardship? What's the times of hardship? When things are lost and things are taken away and, and you, you're forced to then go and rely on Jesus in a, in a new way. So we are more than conquerors over these heartaches because God is using every one of them to his saving purposes for us. And we're, over, we're, we're more than conquerors then, you see, because we don't just survive the trials. We don't just endure them. But, but through them, we gain the glory of eternity. Through them, we gain the crown of life that will never fade away. And, of course, we're just following Jesus, and that's exactly the story of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus, in his death, to the eyes of the world, was absolutely abandoned by God. There was no hope for Jesus on the cross. If God wants him, let God come and get him. Right? Or let him ask. He's clearly condemned and abandoned from God. And yet, and yet Jesus' death was just the pathway to his glorious resurrection and his, and his victory so that he is now uh, legions of angels in heaven are, are, are bowing down. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power. He, Jesus conquered death by entering into death and, and we just follow him. And so Paul wants us to see that our trials, our sufferings, we're just right in the step of Jesus. It's, a, it's an identifying mark of Jesus' children and those who belong to him. That we, as we go through the fire, we, we go with Jesus as Jesus' children and we triumph over it. We're more than conquerors. Take that to your next trial. Take that to your next heartache and hardship. I am not a victim here. I'm not an abandoned child here. God promises that in this very moment, in some way, I am a more than conqueror. Overwhelming victory is mine. I'm going to look back at this, if God grants that in heaven, and, and see the infinitely loving, wise purposes God was carrying out for me right now. So we are more than conquerors, but secondly, Paul wants us just to see that we are eternally secure. For I am sure, he uses the strongest possible word he can use in the Greek. It means I am absolutely convinced. I've become convinced. I will remain convinced unchangeably, invincibly confident of this thing. That neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's his conviction. And it's a conviction that Paul lives by. If you want to ask yourself, what makes this man tick? Why does he get beaten in one town and then go to another town? Well, he'll probably right, get beaten again. What sane person would do that? Well, Paul's not sane, not by the standards of the world. Paul is gripped by the glory of the gospel that he is a more than conqueror in all of those trials and that Jesus Christ is triumphing through him as Paul engages in this, in this wonderful gospel mission and he's convinced that nothing he faces can separate him from the love of God. Nothing, not death or life. Death is what we fear, but life is equally a threat. There are things in, in life, right, trials, or maybe, maybe the blessing of, pros, of prosperity. 
And uh, God makes you very wealthy. And you become self-reliant and you become worldly and, and you drift away. It can happen. It does happen to people. It happens to people. And death, of course, is the thing that we fear most of all. Can death separate us from, from the love of Christ? Well, no, but Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.10, Christ Jesus has destroyed death. It's, it's destroyed. He's brought life and light to Im- and immortality to light through the gospel. And so, so we can be confident, Paul says. Death will not destroy us. That's a wonderful thing to know when you're standing at the bedside of a loved one who's dying in the Lord. They're not being destroyed. It looks like they're being destroyed. It's just, it's just not true. They're being delivered. They're being brought into the presence of Jesus Christ. They're gaining the victory. I remember when, when dad died, we were all standing around and, and he took his last breath and the, the first emotion I felt was, praise God. He's home. He's home. He's won the victory. Nothing in death or life can separate us from the love of God. Not angels or rulers. And with that couplet, Paul is just talking about spiritual powers. Whether they be spiritual powers from above or below, doesn't matter. None of them can rip us away from the sovereign, saving hand of God. As Luther so classically wrote, right? Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Right? Bring on the devils in that sense. Luther is saying, doesn't matter. God has sovereignly willed his grace and truth, his salvation to triumph through you. Through you. And nothing can separate you from that fact. Neither height nor depth. Paul is just talking time or space. Nothing in the present or the future. There's nothing in your moment in your life right now. There's nothing that will be in your life in the days to come that can separate you from Christ. Do you worry about the future? I think, I think that's common to us. We worry about maybe our kids. We worry about what's happening with the country. We worry about what's happening to the world. And I think there's appropriate concern that we, we can have for these things. And yet, and yet, the concern should always be on this solid foundation that the sovereign God who called us will keep us and is engaged in all the affairs of the world to to the end of our salvation. What you read in the pages of the newspaper, on, on your phone, online, whatever, none of it is random. None of it is random. All of it's sovereignly ordained to the end of God's redemptive saving purposes for His people, for His church. Every aspect of it. And so, you, and so you, can, you can face, right, the future and read your, your newspaper with this, with this conviction. It, it's going to be fundamentally okay. Not just okay. It's going to be fundamentally awesome. It has to be. It doesn't mean there won't be trial and there won't be heartache and there won't be tears. Of course there will be. Of course there will be. And yet, all of it must serve to this end of God's revealing, manifesting, 
embracing us in the love of Jesus Christ and all the fruits of that forever. And we can't escape it. Not now, not, not later, not height nor depth, right? Where shall I go from your spirit? If I go to, to heaven, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. No matter where I go, God's love is there. There's nothing that can separate us. Not anything else in all creation. There's, there's absolutely nothing that you will encounter in your life, whatever the experience, whatever the source, that will separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ and all the fruit of that. Again, we, I don't want you to think emotion when you think of the love of God in Jesus Christ. I want you to think of the sovereign, saving purposes. That's what Paul means. Nothing can separate you from the sovereign, saving purposes of God for you in Jesus Christ. Not sickness, not grief, not loneliness, not even your own sin. If you belong to Jesus Christ by the grace and power of God, then you will remain in Jesus Christ by the grace and power of God. Your name has actually been graven into his hand, and that's the hand that holds you. That's the hand that holds you. And so he's not going to let you fall. An old hymn says, Stott says this first. He says, Our confidence is not in our love for him, which is fail, frickle, and faltering, but in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and preserving. And he quotes from this old hymn, Let me no more my comfort draw from my frail hold of thee. In this alone rejoice with awe thy mighty grasp of me. God has you. God has you. And his love towards you is eternal, it's unchangeable, rooted in his own sovereign decree and rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ, neither of which can change. The fact of God's decree which cannot change and the fact of the cross of Jesus Christ which, which will, not, will, will not pass away, these are the foundation stones upon which our security rests. And that we can know then that, that the Father who loved us in this way will love us completely all the way to the end. Let me just ask you, is that, is that how we live? Wouldn't, if, we, if, if we believe this way deep down to the marrow of our bone, wouldn't it bring a smile on your face as you get out of bed in the morning? Wouldn't it give you um, patience as you dealt with difficult circumstances or difficult people? You are so incredibly loved and nothing can threaten it. And you are so incredibly secure, nothing can challenge it. It is an amazing thing to be a Christian. It, it is an astonishing thing to be a Christian. Angels are envious. Let me just ask you, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Have you come to this Jesus confessing your sin, acknowledging that you have no hope except him. And if you've never done that, friend, then you don't have any security. You have no confidence except the confidence that without Jesus Christ, you will be lost forever. And so I, I just beg you today, don't mess with your eternal soul. This is a day of grace where Jesus invites you to come and be saved, actually, truly saved and eternally then secure in Christ today. If you need to talk to someone, come and talk to me. Come and talk to just about anybody sitting in the pews here. And we'd love to pray with you. But let me say to those of you who do believe, what would this look like in our life 
if we actually truly believe it? Well, it would look like joy. It would look like peace. It would look like confession, honesty, humility. We'd be able to comfort each other, and we'd be able to admonish each other, and we'd be able to walk together in this beautiful, precious truth that no matter how great the hardship, no matter how painful the trial, God is loving us today. Does it hurt? Yes, it does. Sometimes it's, the hurt is overwhelming. But the good is everlasting. And the present suffering can't be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from that glory that God has given to you in Jesus Christ. Let's believe it. Amen. Well, God, our Father, I just thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you so much for this gospel. And Lord, I pray that uh, you'd give us the grace to believe it in truth, in depth, in a transformative way, that our life actually is increasingly filled with joy and peace as we believe this. And Father, I, I do pray that if there be any here today who do not know Jesus in this way, that you would, Lord, give them the grace to believe. And for all of us, Lord, who have struggled with doubts and fears, I pray that, Lord, this truth would just be a wrecking ball to those doubts and fears and would cast them out. For what have I to fear? What can man do to me if I belong to God in this way and if I am secure in Christ in this way and he will never let me go? So, oh God, please help us to live in that beautiful boldness of faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.